1: Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess.
2: Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, guys. Uh, We're going to begin here by wishing you a happy National Dog Day. It just happens to be National Dog Day, and we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day.
1: Hey, before I get into the tip, i got to explain this pig. Jess and I were with the vet the other day, bringing one of our many dogs in. And they had a whole wall full of toys and all kinds of dog crap. And they had these pigs lined up on the wall. And I'm looking at this pig and I'm like, what the hell is a pig doing in the vet? So I take it off the shelf and start messing with it. And I think this is the most inappropriate dog toy I could think of. So I had to buy it right away. And uh, we have it here for the podcast. We also have a godson on the other side of the country. I got him a pig too. So we FaceTime each other with the pigs on Sundays. And uh, that being said, I'll get into this tip. What are you going to tell us?
2: Um, So a lot of people have trouble with their dogs being messy in the crate if they leave water for their dogs. And we have a quick and easy solution for you for that issue here today.
1: So what we recommend, we use buckets in our crates. And you can buy a flat-sided bucket on Amazon, real easy, and you clip it onto the side of the crate, and it will keep the dog from stepping into the water, knocking over the dog bowl, and making a big mess in the crate. So if you have a dog that's a little bit of a pain in the ass in the crate with regard to water, but you want him to have access to water... I'd recommend getting a flat-sided bucket to clip on the side of your crate.
2: So hope that helps you guys. As far as us, again, we are Scott and Jess Williams, and we have been brick-and-mortar in-person dog trainers for the past decade. We've trained over 1,000 dogs together, and we are moving on to an online forum. Today with us, we have a guest who is big on the online dog industry herself. She has brick and mortar stuff going on also, but she has a huge online following with her canine fitness expertise. So if you guys think that you can't have enough time for your own fitness, why don't you try Fitness with Fido? If you're not sure what this thing is or a cone with holes in it. You're going to learn all about this kind of stuff here today. <clears throat> Bobby Lyons is with us live from Oregon. She's a dog trainer and a canine fitness expert. She is the owner of Positive Performance. She's the founder of Bobby Lyons Canine Campus, and she is a member of the Canine Fit team with Fit Paws. So we're really looking forward to having her here today. And welcome, Bobby. Hi.
1: Can you <laughs> hear us okay?
2: It's good. It's good I to can. hear you.
1: Awesome. Yep. So, Bobby, we're thrilled to have you on the show. And uh, the first question we wanted to ask is, and I was interested, how would you get involved in this industry? Were you a dog trainer before you got involved in the fitness stuff, or how did this all come to be?
0: Um, I was really, I was an agility competitor with a a border collie, Aussie Cross, or a Bossy, as we like to call them, um, who had some really um, significant structure issues and was uh, struggling to get his rear legs over a jump. And so it kind of sent me down this path to try to find a way for him to do agility and not be injured. Um, and along the way, I've kind of realized that a lot of dogs are not using their rear end um, as efficiently as they could. And they didn't have the strength for some of the uh, amazing uh, things that we were asking of our dogs. And so um, I picked up every book and every publication I could find on how to do fitness. With dogs, and then, um, I've kind of advanced along the way and shadowed many veterinarians and many orthopedic specialists, um, as well as, um, I have a really good eye for movement. So it has really helped me design a lot of fitness exercises that are specific to the movements that are required of our dogs, whether they are pet dogs or chasing a ball or whether they are performance dogs.
2: Sounds good. And when did you start um, with the business primarily? And then also, when did you start online? So when did you transition and make it both face-to-face and online?
0: So I officially started my business many, many years after I started training fitness because I was working a full-time job um, that was non-dog related. Um, So I kind of did it on the side for a while. And I officially started my business in 2007. um, And I went online in 2012.
2: And then what are the benefits that you find? I know that you do seminars all over the world and you do some in-person training there in Oregon, and then you do a lot of online stuff. What are the benefits that you find working online versus working in a class format or a seminar format? Well,
0: I think I really view seminars and workshops as um, people getting a taste of the information. Um, They... They get a taste for it. They um, want to learn more. It inspires them to want to learn more because there's only so much you can take in in a short period of time. Um, I love my online lessons and in-person lessons because I get to work with the person one-on-one right there, and I can help them correct position on an exercise or change exercises based on how the dog is doing them um, right there while the dog is doing it. Um, so doing the online lessons, um, much like we're doing here with Zoom, it has really helped me um, uh, broaden uh, my ability to, to help uh, owners and their dogs um, because I work with people all over, all over the world. So um, Asia, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, everywhere.
2: So you just get a lot more specific basically online than you can in a seminar or workshop format.
0: Yeah, I mean when I teach my classes, um, everything is like a set curriculum and everybody does the same thing. But when I teach online lessons, I'm able to help them specifically with what their dog need um is and also with the handler and their mechanics. Cause I think a lot of the issues with fitness, as far as people doing it or not doing it, has to do with how much time they have to do it, it has to do with their own abilities as a dog trainer, um, to get the dog to do it. Um I mean there's one of these Uh, this is kind of like my my main thing that I say a lot is there's actually dog training involved in fitness. Um, People do actually have to um, train their dog to do what they're asking. Otherwise they're just following a lure, which means that they're very front heavy
1: um, and they're not
0: activating the muscles that we want.
2: Yeah, completely.
1: So these people that are getting involved in your programs, are they mostly dog sport people? Are they doing more rehab stuff or is it more front end trying to build their core strength for the jumps before they get injured? Or what, what do these clients look like that are getting involved with you online?
0: So um, most of them are agility competitors, dock diving, fly ball, um, protection sports. Um, so most of them are sporting dogs. Um, I do have um, a few people that are just um, pet owners um, that take my online classes, but most of the pet people um, see me in person. Um, I don't do rehab. I do fitness. So mm-hmm. if the dog is broken, they have to go to rehab, and then they come to me after they're done with their rehab to further strengthen and go back to sport. Yeah, um, that,
1: that sounds good. I, you know, I'm thinking about a dog I had about, I don't know, 12 years ago that had a jumping issue also, and you know, I thought well, it was he was a bad jumper. Maybe it was a training problem. But uh, in retrospect, what what was it that he had? In the he
2: end? had a DM degenerative myelopathy. Yeah, he at had, the end of his life.
1: Yeah, and I think that that may have been inhibiting his jumping ability from the beginning, Mm you know.
2: So um, you've been around for a while. How is this canine fitness industry involved since when you first got into it in 2007 to now? It seems like it's way more of a buzz topic and way more prevalent than it was even five years ago. Yeah, 15
0: years ago when I started doing this, um, I started offering classes for free to local agility competitors because I didn't know if they would even do it. Yeah. And they all thought I was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah. So um I think the big push really was um FitPause um putting together the team of us that put the FitPause Master Trainer program together and then getting that program um, accredited through the University of Tennessee has really skyrocketed things. Um and just in general I think the competition out there um kind of skyrockets things like um, like we all have, you know, we're all dog trainers, but we all have different, um, theories and, and some of those theories come from different areas. So like, I am a dog trainer at heart. I'm a, um, sports enthusiast. Mm-hmm. I don't compete a lot because I am, um, cause I travel. Um, and then there are people offering fitness that are more from the rehab background that are, that take things kind of from a different angle. Um, and I really feel that, that having those two perspectives, um, pushes people to want more. Um, so, so I think competition is good. Um, and I don't agree with everything they do and they don't agree with everything I do and and that's okay.
1: That's the dog world.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even fitness coaches, you put us all in a room and you can definitely tell which side of the fence uh, people are on. Um, and I don't, you know, of course I, I like my theory. I like my, um, the program that I have put together and I'm a very firm believer in it. Um, but, um, but not everybody wants to train their dog. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, and at the end of the day, the proof is in the And pudding. I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I just, um, uh, was wondering, how'd you get involved with, uh, Tennessee and that whole thing briefly?
0: So, um, I was one of when fit started, um, offering canine fitness equipment. um, I was one of their first non-rehab clients. And so I had established a relationship with them. And the the president at the time um, was the person who kind of spearheaded um, the master trainer program. And so I was pulled in as one of the experts to offer intellectual knowledge for the program and help them put it all together. Um, and then um, that was in 2015. Um
1: That's pretty recent. And
0: then it is pretty recent, yeah. It hasn't been around for a super long time. Um, And then within that, so we started the program April of 2015. It was when we first taught the program. Um, And by that summer, it was accredited through the University of Tennessee, who has the online portion of our program.
1: That's pretty cool. Um,
0: And then, yeah. So, um, so I wasn't,
2: I wasn't really involved in that part of it. I was involved in making the lab. Sure. Yeah, 100%. And when you mentioned FitPause, that's what we meant when we brought these things. Uh, they sell a bunch of canine fitness equipment specifically for dogs, um, and Bobby uses a lot of that within her courses too. So, Bobby, you've had yeah. quite the career um, for canine fitness here. What are some of your career highlights? Like what are, hands down, some of the best memories you've had, whether they be dog-related or travel-related or
1: not? Not that your career's over, but... <laughs> <laughs>
2: Highlights so far,
0: right? You know, um, hmm. like I, I remember some very specific things. I love it when I have workshops where, where I have a whole group of people that have like this gigantic aha moment, which because my philosophy is a little bit different. Um, I believe I have that pretty often. So I'm, I'm real thankful for that. I, I love to educate people. um, so I don't know if there's any like specific thing. I love traveling. Um, so
2: what's your favorite destination w- so far? Not to be picky choosy on your clientele, but what's the, your favorite place that the business has brought you so far?
0: I'm gonna say New Zealand and Australia. That was one trip. That's probably um, a good pick only because I've wanted to go to Australia uh, forever since I was little. Um, but the biggest problem with my travel is I don't always get a lot of chances to actually see anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did get to see a little bit of stuff in New Zealand. I did get to see a little bit of stuff in Australia and I got to go behind the scenes and see them, uh, how they click train, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, a bear to open its mouth so it can have its teeth brushed and, you know, so those, those are really great things, but, um, One big highlight, um, I don't know if I have one big one, but like I said, I think the the thing that moves me, that inspires me to keep going is when those people have those uh aha moments at the workshops and during classes, like, wow, you know, maybe I should teach this a different way so that my dog can use their body better. Um, You know, I love those types of things.
2: Just like when we were in Canada and we were figuring out that our dogs probably shouldn't be perched on the very end of the bed, and that's probably not good for their ilio and their hip flexors. Exactly.
1: (laughs) So we have, Exactly. um, I was going to say, well, you made me think about this. Are there any language barrier issues so far when you're doing these international seminars or is that not too big big of an issue?
0: The first one that I ever had to have every word translated was when I went to Mexico. That kind of slows things up it slows things down and they have to remind me all the time to stop talking because i um, just, as you know, I talk kind of fast. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to have that same thing when I go to Korea for two weeks. That's I what I was thinking. Of yeah. Training. That Asian you know, trip yeah. is
1: going to be maybe a little tough.
0: Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, what I always do is I try to jam as much into a presentation as I can. And mm-hmm. if we get to all of it, great. If we don't, then, you know, I can't do anything about that, but, um it will be different. Um yeah, for sure. It should be fine. Um, yep. Um so far when I've gone to Germany, I've been to Germany and the Netherlands um twice and I haven't had any issues there. The biggest issue that I have with those.
1: We just lost her, I think here. Can you hear us, Bobby? I think she timed out there. Yeah, it looks as if she disconnected on her end. Okay, we'll try and ring her up again here and see if we can get back through to her. Hopefully she'll rejoin in a moment.
2: Never a dull moment here in the world of podcasting.
1: No, in the meantime, I you know, guess we've it's been... a good opportunity to talk a little bit about what you folks offer. Yeah, well... Why don't you tell us a little bit about the canine healing website, Jess?
2: Well, Scott and I are going online and um, we're trying to basically deal with dogs and humans and their relationships, if that makes sense. So rather than just specific obedience training, we're trying to get you and your dog to communicate in a way that you guys are not causing each other so much stress, if that makes sense. And that happens both ways. Um, and we actually have a free course that, uh, we're offering and that you'll hear about a little bit later called canine mind shift. Hey, Bobby. Hey, sorry about that. That's okay. I didn't know if you ran for a quick Peloton ride or what happened. (laughs) No, I think my son, uh, logged into
0: his video games and it bumped me off. Uh, Well, there's priorities here.
1: Bobby, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, do you ever use these exercises to help fearful dogs to gain more confidence, that type of thing?
0: absolutely. Um, I, I do a lot of stuff like that with puppies, especially just because I want them to, um, be exposed to surfaces and things, but I have dogs that, um, that it might take them two or three or four times even, um, to offer to step on some pieces of equipment. Um, I don't lure them because luring can be viewed as coercion and never, I never lure a dog towards anything scary. Mm-hmm. Um, So I always want them to offer it. Um, But usually what happens is, you know, um, like I used to have um, the five peanuts lined up against the wall. And I had all of the dogs that came into my space, walked that whole line of peanuts on top of them. And some of the dogs, you know, you know, border Collies, they're right up there. No big deal. You know, Malinois, they're like, whatever, there's a peanut there. Um, But some dogs, um, like I had a Turve once. She was a young Turve, about six months old. And she would put her front feet on it. And then she would, you know, she would stand on two of them and jump off. And then eventually she did make it up to the peanuts. But what I found was um, then that's what she wanted to do every time she came in. Um, So you can see that confidence build over time. The other thing that would happen is if we asked her to do something that she didn't know how to do. She would leave us and go stand on the peanuts. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that was her default. Because yeah. she was, yeah. she was
0: like, "Nope, I got this one."
2: Yeah, yeah. that's funny.
0: And then <laughs> she was kind of a funny dog. But um, I do, I do use it that way. Um, I, I have a gal with um, that brings her eight-week-old puppies um, to me before they go home. I am their field trip.
2: Oh, that's um, a good one. And
0: they, you know, see themselves in the mirror in my room, and they get exposed to different surfaces and. Um, and again, I don't lure them. They, um, have to go over it of their own free will. Um, but the earlier you can, um, get those kind of those motor skills to balance, um, the better off the dog is because that neuromuscular pathway just needs to be developed. And Mm so, um, but it doesn't mean that I can't take a five-year-old dog who's never been, had to balance, um, in their life. Um, and do the same thing. It's just, I do like to start them as early as possible. Yeah, Yeah, it can be
1: a lot more stressful for an older dog that hasn't been accustomed to dealing with any of this kind of stuff, you know.
2: Absolutely. We're big though at building mental toughness in the dogs and the dogs are better for it. If they work through something, they feel proud of themselves. It's better for them physically and definitely mentally as well. So obviously you can do this kind of stuff from home because you have a lot of online clients. Is there some sort of starter kit that you recommend or what do you like, what's your base of equipment that you would hope for people to have if they work with you?
0: So I don't require anybody to have equipment. Um, I try to work um, with, you know, whatever they have. Um, I have people ask me all the time. Similar question is, you know, um, I don't have anything. What should I buy? And it all depends on what exercises you're doing and, what size dog uh, you have. But in general, I always say a balanced disc, a bone. Um, and now we have three different size bones. <laughs> so, um, so I might say a balance disc, a bone, and, um, maybe one other piece that is size appropriate. Um, the peanut is not my go-to piece of equipment. Um, I do use it, but not nearly as much as I did before. So I tend to, um, ask people to get the smaller pieces because I can do a lot more with them.
2: Yeah. And they fit better in the house too. And then do people go to Amazon for this kind of thing or where would they find this equipment?
0: So they can go to Amazon, but in general, so FitPos does not sell to retail anymore. They only sell to distributors. So you can go on their site and find the distributor near you and buy from them. Um, people can call me and buy from me and I can drop ship it to them, um, but it's kind of real tricky right now because um, because the federal taxes, you can only sell so much to each state and it's a big tax thing, so that's why FitPause is not selling
2: um, to retail anymore. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks so much, Bobby. We really um, appreciated having you on. If you are interested in looking for courses from Bobby, she uh, always has her targeting basics and her foot targeting class open for enrollment. And you can find links for those classes in the description below.
1: Thanks, Bobby. We had a good time. Um, Thanks,
2: Scott.
1: uh, You want to go to our YouTube channel, The Quirky Dog on YouTube. You can see this uh, podcast there. If you have any questions or comments email us at studio at the quirky okay. Keep it quirky guys. Take care.
0: Does your dog
1: lack self-control? Are you looking for some answers? Would you like your dog to be calmer? Does your dog lack confidence? Canine MindShift. Enroll in a free course today. Simply go.
0: The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.